This podcast is part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Head over to flickeringmyth.com for more information and more shows like it. And head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. Now, on with the podcast. First then, congratulations Thank you. on the film. Um, just absolutely fantastic, absolutely loved it. Um, I wanted to ask you first about Sundance, because I'm personally a bit obsessed with Sundance. That's brilliant. <laughs> I've never been, and this is the closest I'll probably ever get to go. In terms of the experience for you, you know, making the film, taking it to Sundance, you know, putting it in front of an audience, how has that experience been for you so far? It's amazing. Every filmmaker, every indie filmmaker is making their film with the dream of going to Sundance, and you sort of feel like it's kind of um, a long shot, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, Heather has a long history with Sundance. She worked for Sundance for many, many years. Oh, really? um, and so I think, you know, it, it, it's something that feels like this incredible dream fulfilled when you get to go because it's such an amazing launching platform mm. for a filmmaker and their career and their and any project and um, in the indie world um, and also it's just wild like you make your film in this very especially when you go into editing it's this very small contained insular experience where it's you and your editor for long hours you know eating junk food in a dark room together <laughs> and then suddenly you're in front of 2,000 people at the Eccles for your premiere and so that coming out um is very scary and exciting, and um, it was just a very cool, wild experience, you know, and and it was amazing. It's very different than Sundance London. It's in this tiny well, mountain town in the middle of winter. There's a lot of snow. Really cold, there's right? lizards yeah. and anywhere. And You're wearing <laughs> giant furry boots the whole time. I've seen some clips of like Q and A's and stuff that I've put on the channel, and all everyone's wearing, you know, big. Big, big puffy, puffy coats. Yeah. 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 They're ski outfits. <laughs> Did you know very early on after that Sundance that you were coming to London or was it kind of a late a late decision to come? Or did they was it them that said to you? They invited to? us oh, to cool. come and so that was really exciting. I think we were both thrilled to yeah. get to do this I've wanted to come for years and never been, so it's really exciting to be here. Yeah, it's nice that it's kind of centrally located this time because I think before a couple of years ago when they had it, the Me issue too. was because it was so far yeah. out and you know, obviously the journalists never wanted to get to it. Um, but yeah. it's, it's nice to have it Picture back House to so makes many. Sense. Picture yeah. House feels very Sundancey too. It's kind of cozy, you know, little living room yeah. areas, and it just feels it feels in line with like what Sundance feels like when you're actually there. And they have beer as well. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. it a bit easier. <laughs> they had the London Film Festival there as well last year, which I think made it so oh, much cool. easier to go from screen to screen to, to get as many uh, films as you as you could. Yeah. Um, in terms of the film itself, was it a long process for you as a as a director and a writer, obviously, in terms of when you started with the idea, because I read that the idea came from a life experience or something that happened in, before you, you know, got into working into as a babysitter and wanting to steal a baby. <laughs> Is that where it was from? <coughs> wow. Um, I had a, just a really, I had a lot of really weird experiences working as a babysitter at high-end hotels in LA, and um, and I just had a, a strange night one night with this really off, bizarre character of a woman who um, 
had come to the hotel to have an affair, and she'd never been alone with her toddler before, but she couldn't bring her nanny because the nanny would rat her out to her husband. And she just, it was like, you know, a writer's dream of a character. <laughs> um, but I just desperately wanted to take her baby with me when I left. Um, she was the most incompetent, you know, shit show, excuse me, of a mother that... Uh, and I didn't steal her baby, but I thought about it, and then I um, had been writing about a friend of mine who was living out of her van and living this very off-the-grid existence and just thought, oh, she would have taken that baby. She wouldn't have even hesitated. Um, and so that sort of was great, because it was like I had this character that I was really interested in, and then I had this um, inciting incident that it just dramatically was a very cool place to start from as a writer, because it just made me spin out. Um, so it kind of, it started from that place, but then it became bigger and bigger as I started to get into the story and become about much more universal giant themes mm. um, that organically kind of came out of wanting to tell this one story. Is it a long process? Was it a long process? I know a lot of these films, I spoke to the director of Moe's from America the other day and he said it was like two years from beginning to end. Sometimes, obviously, you can have a script and it could take years and years and years to, to come to fruition. I wrote this script and then someone threw a bag of money at me the next day full oh, of wow. millions of dollars. And <laughs> no, it was an incredibly long process. It took almost a decade. I, um, I made a short film first that went to Cannes and went all over the world to festivals. And then I developed that short into a feature film. Um, and then it just took years and years and years. And... You know, but it's years where it's easy for get time to get eaten up when you're making a movie. You know, you make an offer to an actor and you wait five months for them to read it. Mm. And then they come back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. And you're like, well, that was five months that I just waited for that one answer. So it's easy to kind of have that time get taken up. And, you know, it's like herding cats making an indie movie. You have, you get these pieces together, you get your actors, you know, and then one one of them gets a job, and then you, you know, have a piece of financing, and then you need the rest of the financing, and in the time that you're trying to find the rest of that money, the first money falls out. So it's, it's just was a juggling act, I think, for years. Um, and looking back, you go, well, it happened with the perfect cast mm. at exactly the right time, with exactly the right crew and people, and, um, and also I'm relieved that I got to grow up as a person and an artist before making the film. Because if I think if I had made it right after making my short, I was very green um, and young. And I don't know that I would have told the story in as complex a way. I Did you come into the process at the same time? Or was, were you no, I came in a few years after she had um, written the script and made the short and, and uh, you know, was in the last several years of the journey of you know, trying to get the movie going, pulling all these pieces together, being very close, and then Orange is the New Black happened. And then we pulled pieces together, you know, getting closer and closer, and then Shonda found out she was pregnant with her first child. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of life that was happening in the process, which is also, you know, how it works. I mean, yeah. you're, you know, it's, it's, it's a mercurial form. And I really hope that the director of Moors of America was not implying that two years was a long time because it's nothing. No, I think he was more. I think he was more the fact that it was just two years of his life into you know into a project, and it could have been much much longer. Yeah. Shorter, you know, but it's yeah, just two one years is nothing. I guess. Making an independent film. <laughs> well, and it is wild. I mean, you. So my agent gave me 
eight years ago. The movie was like set up and ready to go. And he oh, gave wow. me a bottle of champagne, a bottle of Dom to pop on the first day of shooting. And then the movie fell apart. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm saving that champagne because I'm going to pop it on the first day of shooting. And like couple years went by and the bottle got dusty and it sat on our shelf <laughs> and New Year's Eve my husband's like let's open that bottle and I'm like no I'm saving that bottle for the first day of Tallulah and you know then we moved and we packed the champagne and put it up in the new apart you know new house and and it became this symbol of like it was both a symbol of my determination that I I knew I was going to pop that bottle one day I knew that um, I wasn't gonna, you know, but it was also like kind of this tragic symbol of like the thing that hadn't happened yet. Um, and when we finally shot the movie, which was eight years later, I'm sure that champagne was not as good as it was <laughs> when I started. Um, I brought it to New York and he came to set on the first day of shooting and we popped it behind a dumpster on the street in New York City and drank it right out of the bottle and it was the most satisfying glass of champagne I've ever fucking had in my life. Um, because it just had meant so much. It was heartbreak. It was thinking it was going to happen, getting close, the movie falling apart. Um, and believing that the story needed to be told, that I was determined that you know, we were determined to get it made and um, pushing through all of the resistance that you meet along the way. But, yeah, it was certainly, you know... And then, of course, life does happen, and, you know, along the way, it was like, well, when am I going to have a baby? Because the movie's going to go in the fall, and now the movie's going to go in the spring, and I don't see where that fits in. And then when I finally made the movie, I had a 16-month-old, and I was six months pregnant. So... It was just sort of hilarious that, like, okay, well, this is when the movie's happening, and yeah. this is how I'm going to do it, even though it's not the most, you know, opportune of times. I just want to ask you vocally about Ellen and Alison and Jenny, who are both just absolutely tremendous, particularly Ellen, who's, yes, who I are. think is a fantastic actress anyway. In terms of the, that process, were they people you had in mind early? Because obviously, I guess she was eight years ago, she was maybe slightly too young, potentially, or was it someone that you were. You know what? I saw Ellen in Hard Candy. Yeah. And that was right after, or around the time of my short. I don't think it was out. I think I saw it on, you know, video or, or DVD. Um, but I s remember seeing her in Card Candy and thinking, oh, my God, that is Tallulah, but she's way too young. She was only, like, you know, 16 yeah. or whatever she was. Um, and then, and seeing Juno and thinking that is her, but now it feels like, you know, she needed to be older. She needed to be in her 20s. And so it's sort of amazing that the movie took long enough that Ellen had the chance to grow up and be that part yeah. because she was someone that David and I saw, like, very early on and thought, oh, my gosh, like, that is this character. Um, and Alison Janney, too, was just, I'm such a fan of hers, and I think she was the perfect Margot from the moment that I, you know, she popped into my head. Um, and then you're working with people's schedules. Like, she was on a series, and so she'd have this little hiatus, and it was just like we had to shoot for that hiatus every time. You know, like, how many months does she have off? What else does she have going on? Can we make it work in her schedule? Um, but I couldn't have imagined kind of more... Because they're both very complex actresses. They're very, very funny, the two of them, um, and they have great comic timing, and humor, but they also have deep, deep emotional depth and get what that, 
the pain of life as well. And so I think finding people that have both of those is rare. It's great that you've got a Netflix. Obviously, you're going to be on Netflix as well soon. Time, obviously, I'm just new black is going Netflix as well. Yeah. That must have been music to your ears to have it on Netflix. Oh, it's right. going to have a distribution, I presume, as well in the cinema and everything. Um, well, they're doing everything. Oh, so okay. they're doing worldwide, and um, and it's coming out in theaters as well in the top five cities in the U.S. and then London. Um, but then it will also be on Netflix. But, you know, we were talking about, like, it's sort of where, where media is going. Yeah. Um, and you want to be precious as a filmmaker and have everyone watch your movie in a theater with perfect sound and perfect visuals, but at the same time, it's not how people are watching things anymore. Yeah. So while I want people to be able to have that communal experience if they want to have it um you know if if watching it on your tablet lying in bed at home is how you're gonna watch the story that's great like i want i want as many people to get to experience this movie as can and i think netflix is a great way to reach a lot of people have you got another film in mind do, I have a lot of films in mind. I think now it's like, which one do I do next? Your second film is hard. Your first film is very personal, and it feels like it sort of comes out organically, and it's usually very connected to you. Um, and then I think your second film almost feels like this big statement about your career, yeah. you know, and who you are as an artist. And so I think, in a way, your second film can be more challenging than your first film because it's more defining of the path that you're on um, so I have I have several projects and it's kind of you know you're looking at it about what moves you but then also what is what you're saying to the world about the kind of stories you want to tell yeah are you going to stop me yeah oh, that's, that's fine yeah. that's fine <laughs> thank you ladies you're lucky yeah. usually he tackles yeah, I usually get that. I usually get that. Just, like a full sprint from the wall and just knocks you over. I mean, that was very polite. Right? <laughs> um, I wish you all the success with the film. It's, it's fantastic. So I look much. forward to it. I hope you'll be able to see it again in the cinema. Awesome. That would be great. <laughs> Great stuff, guys. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.